Well, good morning, and just great to see everyone this morning. And just to chime in on what Jeff talked about, and uh, so glad that little Wyatt Osland is here with us now and in person. He's been with us a while, yeah, a few months, uh, but getting to meet him this week has been awesome. And I just want to clarify, uh, I am not in the same boat with Jeff. I am not getting baby fevers, just so you know that. Grandfather baby fever, yes, but otherwise, I am not, okay. The mirror. In Scripture, the mirror is most often used for us to understand transformation. And as I thought about and reflected on last week's message, and as I'm sure you have thought about it every moment of every day this last week, but just reminding myself you know, just the challenges we have in this day and age. We've always had them, and I'll talk about that today. We've always had them. This is nothing new of the challenges we have, but there are some unique today and ways of going about it that do challenge us uh, that is a constant, it seems like, and some choices we have to make as we go through that. But I want to read out of the book of James today, and James chapter 1, I'm only going to read three or four verses here, but just to kind of set it up a little bit, James is talking about in James chapter, in, in chapter 1 about the trials and tribulations or, or challenges we will have, and he talks about considering it to consider it joy, to rejoice inside of those challenges. And that, to me, is one of the hardest things to do. And the word trial there literally means to be shipwrecked. <laughs> I mean, it's, that, it's, that, it's that visual, if you will say literally, but it's that visual of being shipwrecked. But to consider it, to ponder, to, to really think about what's going on. And I know for some right now, I could preach on that today, and you are going through trials. And unfortunately, one of the things we have to keep in mind that our faith is not based on our circumstances. Our faith is based on the one who never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And I hope, and like for me at times, I think things happen, and boy, I just feel a lot better about things. I've told you this before. I've, when it starts to become fall, and I step outside, and the high is 80, just kind of like it was this week, and the lows in the 40s, I feel better. <laughs> I just feel better than when it's 114 and it's 92. But my faith shouldn't change. I, I do feel better. James talks about in chapter 1 about being double-minded. person who has this inner conflict. And will I trust God fully or will I not trust God fully? This inner conversation. Anybody ever have inner conversations? We talked about last week about talking out loud in the car. Anybody have, we have that also? We all, I'm not saying everybody here does, but I sure have those conversations. I've done it for years, like I said. Even before COVID, I am a guy who talks to himself out loud. Sometimes it's the only place I can find an intelligent conversation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
It is weird. But we all have these doubts, and I think even the most ardent believer of Christ at times deals with doubts, things that you're just going, well, I don't know, and yet all of a sudden there's this, and you have to take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. We all deal with that, but that's not what James talks about. He's talking about double-minded where you're really doubting God, that he has a great plan, that he has all this under control, that he means what he says in his word, and that's what we're going to talk about today. James chapter 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, I think that's important you need to underline that, some of you, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, but not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. How many of you want to be blessed in what you do? Well, there's a, there's a, there's a formula here. We talked about it last week in Romans 12. We'll probably come back to that today again, Romans 12, 1 and 2. There's a formula to this, if you will. And I'm not saying we box God in and it has to look like what we think it should look like. Isn't that a problem sometimes with our prayer life? We need to pray, and it's a huge part of who we are. But sometimes we try to box God in with our prayers, and then we're disappointed because they weren't answered the way that we were praying it. But I love God's promises. But there always seems to be a condition to it. There's something in front of that. When we talk, when Jesus says to us, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But he also says, hold on to my teachings. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set We need to know that first part. So we've got to be careful as we look in the word. Which is why it's great to be inside of a community of people who really challenge to say, look from all angles. But when you look in the mirror in the morning or when you are walking through the department store and they have those mirrors, those long mirrors, you just take a glance over. What do I look like walking by? I walk pretty cool, don't I? No, but what do you do? What do you really look at when you look in there? What are you looking for when you look in the mirror in the morning? Are you looking to see if there, yeah, there's a hair out of place there? Is there a little blemish that I can't do anything about? It's just going to be there. There's a new brown spot because I didn't think about wearing sunscreen for the other 50 years of my life. Okay. Why? Okay, you, you begin to look and you want to make sure, man, I don't want to leave the house today. Maybe it was something out of place that I could have corrected. There's things we may not overcome. For instance, I can't look in the mirror long enough and say I, I want to look like I did when I was 25. I could look all day long and look for flaws and look for things and look. Have you ever looked in the mirror, thought something looked really nice, and you walked away and somebody else told you, that is not match? Anybody ever had that happen to you? 
Or say this to you, are, are you leaving the house with that on? So it does help, though, even if I look into the mirror, it does help to get a different perspective. It does help at times for somebody else to speak into it. Not always. But why do we look in the mirror? I think most often is not to deceive ourselves, which we will talk about, not to have some delusion of something which we can have, but it's to really kind of go, is there something out of place I can correct? So I don't leave this place and go there with it out of place. Now you may say, well, I'm not sure I agree with all that. Okay. But when James talks about the mirror here, I don't think he's referring to a mirror like we get to see. This is so pristine. I mean, we can look at this, and now we can, again, deceive ourselves, but we can look in the mirror and see really almost a, not perfect, and I don't mean like we being perfect, but such a, if we look closely, we can see the reflection of what really is on, is standing in front of it. But when James talked about it, a mirror was not that. Most likely, a mirror was more of a piece of metal that had probably been beaten out with a hammer, uh, possibly copper, something along that line, but a piece of metal. So when he says look into a mirror, you couldn't just glance at it and go, okay, that's all right. No, you had to look into it. You had to go, okay, well, okay, now let me look at it from this angle. Because the reflection was kind of, it was kind of moving a little bit, wasn't it? Because the way the thing had been beaten out, and it wasn't a perfect image. It's a little cloudy, and Scripture talks about that when we see things clearly, but, but, but it's a little out of place. So, man, for them to try to really get what they were really looking for, whether it was what they looked like or whatever, they had to be intentional. And they had to look. I'm not saying they liked what they saw or anything along that line. So when he's talking about it, it's not like a casual glance. You walk by and go, oh, okay. Or even probably what we do in the morning to shave, if that's what you do, or, or brush your teeth, or fix your hair, or put your makeup on. Extremely intentional. Extremely in a mode of consideration where your focus is right there in that moment. So when James says, when you look in the mirror, he's talking about a whole lot more than what we would think of today. But he goes on to say, and we all think this would be silly, a person to look themselves in the mirror and walk away and forget what they look like. In other words, if somebody showed you a picture of you 15 minutes later, you go, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that person is, because I forgot. I, even though I've seen myself just earlier, I, I've just seen the reflection of myself here. Somebody shows me a picture of myself 15 minutes later, and I go, I don't, I don't know that person. And what if, I had ne- what if I had forgotten? If I today, if somebody asked you if, you, if you forgot what you look like, if somebody asked you to describe yourself, they were going to... F- meet you somewhere for something, and you had to describe yourself not based on your clothes, but based on what you look like, how would you describe yourself if you didn't know? 
Again, most of us would probably say, you're going to see somebody good looking. Because that's what we want to think. But to look at ourselves in the mirror and someone show us a picture a few minutes later of ourselves, but we don't know it's of ourselves, and they say, who is this person? And we go, can't help you. Mirrors are important. But what is more important is when James tells us that God's perfect law not the law of bondage, not the law of legalism, not the law of let me figure out how many ways I can box you into a little corner, but, but the law that sets us free. We talk about it all the time, or we have over the years. Legalism leads to bondage. Discipline leads to freedom. It's a whole different way you walk into it. Me to know God's law and to live into that law brings me freedom. Or it can bring me what? Bondage. And usually bondage is by somebody else. And we've said many times, we said last week, somebody else will write your story for you if you'll let them. But you, in the midst of the Holy Spirit and flowing with them, need to allow God to begin to write your story. You've been telling yourself things about your story that I'm going to guess are not true for many of you. I don't mean that the incident didn't happen or you didn't do something stupid or, or something. I'm saying what moving forward today because our present is not our what? Permanent. It does not have to be our permanent. One of the tough parts about Scripture, obviously, is that when we look into, the, when we look into it as a mirror, and, of course, James didn't have what we have today, the luxury we have to be carrying this around. And he didn't have that luxury. We, we have it available. So available, it's ridiculous to some degree. We used to talk about how many Bibles we had in the house. I mean, everybody's probably got it on their, on their body right now, maybe or in their purse. <laughs> to have that accessibility... Yes, to not only read the Scripture and look at, and the, and the Scripture show us our flaws and our shortcomings, and yes, I'll use the word, which we don't like using much, the sin. But it doesn't show us the sin to condemn us, but to what? Save us. God's love and how He shows us and how His comforter comes and the convictor comes in the Holy Spirit does not come to condemn us and tell us, stay there, that's who you always be. Again, the enemy will write your story for you. But it's come to give you a location. We'll talk about it in just a minute again. You know how we think about that here. It is to tell you, here's where we are, but here's the way out. One reason we need to memorize Scripture. I don't do it as not enough, for sure, because it's more than just believing that this is true. It's more than that. 
And it's more than being a great Bible quizzer. And that's awesome to have that scripture memorized, and I don't knock that at all. But you can have all that and walk away and forget what it means in your life. One reason you want to memorize scripture is to take captive every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. Scripture tells us there we have the power to demolish strongholds. Demolish them means to render them useless. Doesn't mean they're gone forever. Doesn't the word there is not obliviate? Obliviate? You know what I mean. Easy for you to say, right? Obliterate. Is that right? Ooh, good, Kurt. Good man. I was going to sit here till I got it right. Because you can still see it. The way I visualize a stronghold is I can still see it. I can still see the potential. I can still, but to render it useless. That's different. Some of you walked in here today with strongholds. A place the enemy has come in and taken over either by permission or by force. But either way, it's there. That it seems like you just keep going over and over in the same cycle. And the enemy will tell you, that's who you are. There will be people tell you, that's who you are. But man, when you begin to memorize Scripture, sure it'll show you your flaws. Sure it'll show you your shortcomings. Sure it'll show you your sin. And it should. And it'll show you that there's a way out. But here's the other thing is, you are more than a conqueror. You need to know God's Word. Because in a moment, you may not get a warning when a situation comes that you may have to bring that thought captive in that moment to the obedience of Christ. Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ in that moment. And you're not afraid of God's Word. You want God's Word as part of your, lack of a better way, arsenal. And what Jeff talked about, we are in a battle. Scripture is very clear that it talks about athletes. It talks about warfare. It talks about those things. We can't get away from that. But we do not fight against flesh and blood, though. We fight against principalities and powers. There's other things going on. That's the reason why we've got to be spiritual. There's things that we cannot do for our community if we don't understand the spiritual realm of this. Because it's not against you or them or over there. Even though many times it's played out in that. There's something more going on. So we need to know Scripture. There is something about the nature of truth that makes fallen human nature tend to ignore it. To forget what it looks like. Or often, like I might even do sometimes, manipulate it to fit what I wanted to say. 
Nothing new. Did God really say that? And it breaks the trust. And once that trust is broken, does God have my best interest at heart? Eve would think. And it's broken, so we begin to think we're smarter than we really are. There's this delusion, and I realize that's a mental health understanding, and believe me, I, I, I realize there's delusions that can happen in that, that this is not what I'm talking about here, so please don't hear what I'm not saying, because I think that can happen, and that people who are there need professional help, most likely, and those kind of things. But I'm talking about self-delusion. I'm talking about, and there's times you get, there's delusion of people telling you something over and over and over and over, and you're almost to be pitied, if you will, because you really wouldn't have wanted to think that. You didn't want to be there, but people or the system or whatever has told you something long enough and you've bought into something that's not the reality. But then there's some that we choose ourselves. Then there's those delusions, the self-delusion that we willingly participate in. You know, one of the ways for me when I know Scripture, one of the ways for me to do a check, not only talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, but one of them is what Scripture tells us out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart. I don't like that Scripture. Because sometimes what comes out of my mouth, I don't want to know is inside of me. Anybody ever there? That came out of my mouth. Because it had been banked, right? That doesn't mean you can't get, be forgiven of it and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you begin to continue to discipline yourself and go, I don't want that to ever, ever happen again. And you have that, but somehow or another it came out because it was somewhere deep within you. So one of the ways, we, we, if you want to do a quick checkup is out of, my, out of my mouth comes the overflow of my heart or out of my postings come the overflow of my heart. Out of where my mind wants to follow and what I want to focus on and what I want to, I would say, comes the overflow of the heart. Well, Scripture will beat you up. <laughs> it will. I gave you three questions last week looking in the mirror. And I don't know if you, you worked on it this week. I, I tried to do that. And again, I realize a lot of things I say up here are not applicable, applicable to your life. But I hope a lot of them are. But the three questions, one being, do I put a standard on anyone else that I would never put on myself? Do I ever put a standard of who they should be as a human being on anyone else that I would not put on myself? It's easier, easier to generalize and to judge others. It's easier to take this mirror, if I can keep from breaking it. It's easier to take this mirror 
And I don't want to blind any of you, but you get what I'm saying here. It's easier to take this light that's being shown on me, this truth that's being shown on me. It's easier just to do what? Bam. I'm just going to put it on you. It's a pretty amazing thing, right? Like a little spotlight. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's eyes. I'm not intentionally. I'd rather just do that. That makes me feel comfortable. With a certain group of people or persons, do I have a tendency to compare my best to their worst? With anybody, maybe, but especially certain people, especially certain groups, do I have a tendency to compare my best to their worst? And the last one is we showed the slide that, you know, we've used often, wise, fool, evil. Where do I fall on that? Of course, the middle one is what I just showed you with the mirror. A deflect due to insecurity and shame. There's a lot of freedom in reading God's Word because it allows me to walk towards the light. Walk in the light as He is in the light. We talked about it back in the greatest series, back last summer, talking about love the Lord your God with all your mind. And it talks about the word used there for mind is the word we use for dialectical thinking. And it's that, it's that thinking that comes through reasoning, that comes through reaching across the aisle, if you will. comes to view things and issues and all other things from somebody else's perspective, something different than mine. I'm going to reach over here, and I'm going to try to look at it from their side. Dialectical thinking, reaching across the aisle, if you will. It's amazing when we sit down with people that we find out they struggle with most of the same things we struggle with. They're just trying to make it. Or they may have used, they may use other ways and other means. And yeah, they, because of their situation, they may lash out and they may use, use emotionalism as their only defense. They may use words and all these kind of things. We got to work through all that, folks. I don't, I'm not going to be pushed into a corner just because you're insecure. I want to pray for you. You may try to describe me. I want that mirror to describe me. I want God to describe me. I want God to tell me. I'm not going to let you tell me. I'll take what you say, and if it's truth, I'll try to walk towards it. But I'm also going to try to be wise enough to go, I, that ain't truth. We use here, as you know, we've the, the Wesley quasi-quadrilateral that we have used, and I don't know if we have it up there or not. But we talk about it here as the, the Wesleyan way of viewing truth. And I won't spend a lot of time on it because we could spend hours on this right here. But one of the things that I, I just want to say here is that we as Christians, all of us have an ideology. All of us. 
No matter who you, in, in the world, you have some set of way you think about things. You just do, and you've gotten there for what all kinds of reasons. We don't know all those, but you've gotten there. It's an ideology for us as Christians. We hope and pray that our last filter is Scripture and not cherry-picked Scripture, and not, but Scripture that we can do in community where we can understand it together, where we can be challenged with each other. But one is experience. You don't know all my experience. You've judged me and based me, and you've pigeonholed me, and you don't know how I've come to this conclusion. Tradition and history. What is tradition in the church? And what does even historical of our world tell us about a certain thing? But one of the biggest ones is reason. Not biggest ones. They're all equal. They're never above Scripture ever for us. But they are filters. So when people say, well, you just believe that Bible. That's a reason. No, man, I come to this situation to try to end up at that universal truth. I try to come from a diversified way of looking at this. One of them is reasoning. Trying to think across the aisle a little bit. Trying to think about it from somebody else's situation with their standpoint. Maybe so different than mine. So far away from mine. But I want to know why. The why makes a difference. Not just the what. We can all look at the what. But why do they get there? Because why inspires me? Why opens me up? Why allows me to hear their story? You need to know your why. If somebody asks you, why do you follow this Jesus? Not why do you go to church. That, that's, that's another question. Why do you, but why do you follow Jesus? Well, I was raised in church. I was there first Sunday, my first Sunday ever. I never stopped going. That's awesome. And God bless little Wyatt. But it ain't going to be enough. I heard this, I think Andy Stanley just recently said, when you lose your why, you lose your way. Why? Well, I need to be able to reason that out. It ain't, it's not all here. I need to do some work. I need to lean into this. We've talked about it as a staff. One of the things we believe 2021 that we're going to try to lean into is discipleship and to really try to bring this understanding of why. When we read Scripture, it allows us to get this rounded view of where we fit into the story. This divine drama, as you've heard me say over and over from Dallas Willard, that I know the day that I gave my life to Christ in 1986, I saw a story going on that had been going on forever, and I didn't know it, but I stepped into this divine drama, and I had a role in it. It made me feel a little more important than I had before. And I don't mean, hey, look at me, look at me. No, I don't mean that. It's kind of like what Paul talks about. I mean, Peter talks about in Acts chapter 3 when he heals the blind, I mean, heals the lame man from birth. When he says to that lame man, look at us. Silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He didn't say look at us like we are the disciples, mighty, mighty disciples. No, he was saying look at us. Look, look at me. Look at me. 
Many people had walked by him. Many people had carried him. But that day, he said, look at us. And he was able, that man trusted what God was doing in that man's life. And he walked away from that day walking. <laughs> Got Peter and John arrested, but that's beside the story. What you get for good and doing good deeds, right? One reason I love Scripture, because who in the world would allow? If you wanted somebody to follow your, your some kind of belief, and, and, I, and you know I don't believe this is a cult, but if you wanted somebody to follow your cult, and you're some kind of made-up, delusional way of thinking, you would not have included all the flaws that are in Scripture of all the people God used. You wouldn't have done that, I don't think. I don't think you use all that. You don't show how... human they were I look into scripture and I begin to see myself I've said this often about grace I didn't understand grace till that December 1986 I didn't get grace what I know about grace is this and I've never struggled with grace is because if because if you had known my lost decade as I talk about at times if you had known my lost decade yeah there's no way I could have worked my way into the kingdom and that is not what James is talking about here he's saying you will read the word because you love Jesus and what he's done for you you can't help yourself but go do what he said you're not doing it so he will love you you're doing it because he does love you so when I got in in the kingdom, it was not based on the fact that I worked my way in because I could not have. It was only grace that did it. But as I read Scripture, I began to, began to and Jan will tell you, I only read in the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs because that little Bible I carried to Alumax and I worked uh, working 12, 16, 20-hour shifts sometimes reading between my jobs because they allowed me to. I was reading this word and I was, it was just coming alive to me. It was causing me to come alive. Not because I was delusional. The scripture didn't become true the day I started believing it. The scripture was already true, then I believed. But it became great truth for me because out of that I became free. I'm still working through things. I still have flaws for sure. As I said last week, the reflection, as we talked about in the caterpillar to the butterfly, I am transformed, but I am being transformed. I'm in that liminal space, if you will. I have left what I used to be, but I'm not quite what I will be someday because I'm going to someday be Christ-like. I'm in that space in between, a straight betwixt two, as Paul would say. But I love these scriptures. They're not on the scripture. They're not on the screen. Just listen to them. Because when I read scripture, I don't just read. I'm just simply a sinner saved by grace. I'm just trying to get by till I get to heaven. No, I, I'm transformed to fly. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that his one and only son, sent his one and only son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to do what? Save it. That's great news. Romans 8, 
Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or, or demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are more than a conqueror. Acts 2.17, Peter preaching, repeating, uh, quoting Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. My sons and daughters will prophesy. 1 Timothy 1, even though I was once, but this is the Apostle Paul, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I don't know what you've done in your life. Probably not any worse than that. John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, to live life abundantly now and forever. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, and we all who, who with unveiled face, faces contemplate the Lord's glory, glory are being transformed into the image of the Lord's glory. Our, ever-increasing, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What do we do with this? Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm going to read this from the message, which is one of my favorite ways to read this, but I don't have it memorized, so I am going to read it. So here's what I want to do, you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. I love this. Again, here's the formula, right? Don't come so well-adjusted to the world that you just fit in. Formula. Well, first, offer everything you have to him. Don't become so well-adjusted to the world. Fix your attention on God, meaning you've got to change your thinking. Readily recognize what he wants from you, and this is the result. You will readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity. Some of you need to get off posting. It is time for you to look in the mirror. I don't know about any of you. You may be listening out there. I may be talking to our culture in general. It's time. Dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. As I was looking at baby Wyatt this week and reminded me again, as I said last week, there were two reasons I wanted you to stand in front of that mirror. Remember that? One of them was to ask the three questions. 
But the other one was, was to marvel. And I don't mean in an arrogant, narcissistic way. But to marvel at what God has done. You are fearfully, in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearfully there means in awe. It literally means you're looking at somebody that you're honoring and you are saying, I stand in awe of them. And wonderfully there means set apart. You're unique. You are awesomely and uniquely made. Some of you need to hear that. You need to be reminded of that. I don't know what stories have been told to you. But you need to let the Holy Spirit, God's Word, people who will help you get there, begin to write your story differently. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's to separate you from God, to separate you from others, and to separate you from your why. Because when you lose your why, you lose your way. Slide I showed you last week on the location route, vehicle destination. Some of you need to come to the conclusion. You don't need to know you do need to know that Christ's likeness is the destination, but you need to start in a location every day. As you look in God's Word, and you look into the circumstances and allow Him to speak into you, where am I right now? Help me, Lord, see me as you see me. In all kinds of ways, as the one you love and the one that you cherish. And if I, you, if, Lord, if I have flaws and I have sin and I have mis. I'm missing things. Lord, show me so I can correct them. But Lord, as I know that you love me and you have a plan for me, as you show me my gifts and graces and you show me situations, give me the strength to lean into them. I want to know all of it. I read this somewhere and so there's two teachers in life and they both have significant cost. One moves you forward, the other moves you back. The two costs are discipline and regret. The cost of discipline, of insight, integrity, wisdom, conviction costs far, far less than the cost of regret. And it doesn't even come close. We all deal with lag time, right? Talked about it last week. We're on the right track. We think we're trying to do right things and we look up somewhere along the way. We took a left turn and now we don't know how we got off that far. Most of the time, it's lag time. It's choices you were making along the way. It wasn't just that one moment. It was moments. I always end up where the road I've chosen takes me, as Andy Stanley says. It leads where it leads, regardless of race, gender, age, color, education, social status, political party, whatever path I choose, I end up there. The question becomes, what are you going to choose?
Should I look in the mirror as if a man looking in the mirror and walking away, forgetting what I look like? Stuart, I don't know if y'all have a song or something you can do to close us out of here today, but as they're coming, I'm going to ask you to contemplate this. Have there been circumstances? Has there been things that God has been, seems like, not manipulating maybe, but maybe <laughs> crossing paths, hearing words, looking at God's word, looking at, and he is wanting to do something in you, and for some reason you keep walking away from it. Wanting to forget what you just saw. Wanting to. I read last week, I think it was Max Lucado who says, for many of us though, we'll never deny Christ. That's not what we will do. We just won't take him with us. We would never, if somebody asked us, do you believe that Christ is a, is a fake and all this? No, no, no. But we just don't take him with us as we keep moving. But I also want to leave you with a promise and a benediction, if you will, found in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. To him. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according back to the promise right according to the power that is work that is at work within you not just any but the power at work within you to him be the glory in the church and in Christ forever and ever to all the generations and I love what Craig Rochelle says. Your mind cannot comprehend what God wants to do in you. It cannot comprehend it. Because he wants to do immeasurably more. I don't know what your greatest thought is about your life. I don't know what your greatest why is about your life. But he wants to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. What a promise. What a promise. Won't you stand as I pray? I'm going to encourage you if, if you're going through trying to figure this thing out. I mean, I, you could email me, our staff. We would love to get with you. I know it's a little weird here. We usually do altar calls. There's a lot of different things that go around this, and I, I realize things have changed. We hope someday we'll be back to that. But we want to be available. We want to be available. help us right now to lean into your word and when we see your word we have great hope we don't have fear because the word says you did not give us a spirit of fear but of love and of sound mind and of power but the thing we know is we may not ever be able to choose how we're going to die but we can choose how we're going to live so this day, I'm, I can choose not to live in fear, but in love. 
where the circumstances around me very well may be filled with things I may be in fear of if I let it go there. But Lord, I choose love today. Perfect love. The cast out. All fear. That's what I'm going to do today. Lord, I pray for those who are in that liminal space, the in-between space of, of double-minded maybe, Lord, where they're struggling. That inner conversation where they just can't decide whether they can trust you fully or even if they, they do think they can trust you, they just don't want to walk that way. I pray that your spirit will not give up and will be relentless on their lives. Lord, thank you today for this opportunity. We love you, Lord. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Pray this in the name that is above every name. The name that the word says that every knee shall bow to someday. The name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.